0: Do you ever get a flash of a memory of a movie you saw as a child but can't remember the name? Perhaps you caught it on TV while staying up later than you should have. Or maybe you never saw it, but you recognize the cover art from the neighborhood video store around the block.
1: At the Video Junkyard Podcast, we dig up these forgotten films and franchises and see if they still hold up in the digital age.
0: You know, one person's trash is another's treasure something like that. Each episode hosts Eric Gilbranson and Joe Peterson discuss a number of films selected thematically. We'll be looking at the best, the worst, and the best of the worst at the Video junkyard podcast you are listening to the doctor who target book club podcast
2: happy listening hello fellow time travelers i'm nick briggs and you are listening to the doctor who target book club
3: podcast enjoy your travels
2: Hello, fellow time travelers, and welcome back to the Doctor Who Target Book Club, the podcast in which we undertake the demonic task of discussing in story order all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Whit, and today we have a sometimes demonic four-person discussion panel, including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979, that would be me... There's also, that gets creepier every time, doesn't it? There's also our intermediate level casual fan who's seen several episodes but has not previously read any of the books until these podcasts. This time it's the worthy Dalton Hughes. Hello, Dalton. Hello,
0: it's I, Dalton Demonic Hughes. (laughs) Dalton Demonic Hughes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Very good. We also have our semi novice fan, one who has seen little to none of the original series and has not previously read any of the books except for the ones we've done for this podcast. And this time around, it's the wise and witty Allison Fitch Seafried. Hello, Allison.
1: Nobody here but a stone churchyard gargoyle. Isn't there supposed to be an angel instead of a gargoyle?
2: You'd think so, wouldn't you? But, well, they've been around the devil all this time. It depends on so. the denomination. Uh, yes, it does. If you're Baptist, yeah, of course, it's going to be demons. And this time, we have a special guest, a longtime fan of the Pertwee era, whom I met last year, last November at Chicago TARDIS when we were both on the same panel about, you guessed, at Target novelizations, the gentle and generous Jennifer Picker. Hello, Jennifer.
3: Hello. <clears throat> Hello, everyone. I'm sitting here with my black cat right next to me, watching the pentagram spin on the fortune telling crystal ball.
2: <laughs> there you go. Well, perfect. Uh, <laughs> That's exactly what we need for this sort of thing. <laughs> So, Jennifer, um, how long have you been a fan of uh, Doctor Who?
3: I go back to the beginning of when we got uh, a PBS broadcast of it back in 1983. Uh, I would watch it with my father on Sunday nights, and um, I've been a fan ever since.
2: Terrific. Okay. And why did you want to talk about this book in particular? You actually requested this one.
3: Uh, actually, this book stands out, this episode book stands out to me, has always stood out to me, even when I was a little girl. I always found it fascinating, and as I've gone through life and become a scientist, and uh, I work with plants and botany and agriculture and soil and water every day, um, the earth religions have started standing out to me, and um, as I got further into my, to, into my degree um, and also teaching... Uh, there was always the debate of science and religion. And what was presented in this episode has always grabbed my fascination of the balance of science and religion, or science and, and fantasy. And where is that line? And that's what's always stood out to me. Oh, yeah,
2: absolutely. And Definitely. even more so in the book I found this time, it, it's almost as if one wins out over the other on screen, but in the book it's left hanging as to which one's actually... Uh, the dominant one
3: right one of the most fascinating classes i ever took was it was it studied science and religion and um it was always very interesting where where that line is oh yeah
2: absolutely well we're very glad to have you mm-hmm. and i'm definitely looking forward to this discussion uh before we get to talking about the book let's briefly talk about our patreon page at patreon.com forward slash dwtargetbc Depending on the amount you get per month, you will receive, among other possible goodies, a randomly chosen BBC book, not a Target book since we know you have so many of these that you use them in your satanic rites and sacrifices instead of using poor, innocent animals. <laughs> the
1: devil's not impressed because you have so many that exactly. what's sacrificing no sacrifice one of them? Exactly. sacrifice at
2: all, unless they're blue spines. Mm. Uh, just to say thank you for being willing to help us stay on the virtual air. And as usual, we'd like to thank our regular patrons, Bart Lemmy, Rick Taylor, Toby Binglesdorf, and Jay Berry. Thank you, guys. Thank you. We also have our Goodreads discussion group where you, the listener, can discuss upcoming books and previous podcasts. You can find us there at tinyurl.com forward slash Y7K M A S P R. In fact, we expect you to. We continue now with our discussion of the final story of Season 8, The Demons. Without further ado, here are some fast facts. Doctor Who and the Demons, adapted by Barry Letts from the script by Guy Leopold, dated from 522 71 published by Target Books in October 1974. As of this recording in August of 2019, this title is currently out of print, but is available as an unabridged audiobook, 172 pages. All right, a little bit of history about this one uh, for our panelists, and also um, Jennifer probably already knows all this history. This <laughs> story has the distinction of being John Pertwee's favorite one to make. Hmm. He loved this story. And it's not far from the top for most of the people involved in its production. Fans tend to think of it as the ultimate Pertwee story, or at least the ultimate unit story, for a number of reasons, while there are others who tend to look at it and wonder what all the fuss is about. And I have to admit, until recently, I was one of those people. (laughs) It's also distinctive for being the very first Doctor Who story that a sitting producer on the show had a hand in helping to write, and I believe only one of two total that a producer ever wrote. The second one being John Nathan Turner's writing, or at least typing, on Dimensions in Time. An anniversary special which thankfully has never been novelized, so we never have to talk about it ever again. <laughs> <laughs> talk about it. Exactly. Huh? The scene in the church with Joe in episode four with, um, with Mike Yates is the audition piece for that character and Barry Letts decided that he wrote that. So he decided to expand it because he had an interest in black magic and religion. He was a lifelong Buddhist, as far as I remember.
0: The blackest of magics. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
2: So he was interested in these things. Um, In fact, if you look back at the British horror film output at this time, there's a hell of a lot of it devoted to witches and burning at the stake and uh, sorcery. So this story appears to be riding that wave of popularity a bit. But yeah, it was in a previous story. Yates?
1: Yeah. Maybe I'm mixing up with
2: someone else. Mike Yates? Yes. Yeah. He's yes. In, yeah. Okay, so. He's in the story.
1: Yes, but this was an audition in
2: what sense? Um, uh, it was an audition for the, the character of Joe Grant. Oh, because they okay. made up the character of Yeats around the same time. In okay. fact, they probably okay. used it as an audition piece for him as well. It's just there's nothing about that. They say it's an audition piece specifically for Joe. Unfortunately, script editor Terrence Dix reminded Letts that they'd likely get a lot of pushback from parents if the story actually were about black magic. (sighs) So he went with Arthur C. Clarke's idea that any sufficiently advanced technology will look to less advanced cultures like magic. He also took inspiration from the then-popular 1969 work, Chariot of the Gods, by Eric von Nicken about aliens visiting in our past and influencing us. Thus, everything having to do with so-called magic in the story has a scientific explanation. Even if we don't get most of those explanations in the actual story, they're supposedly the demon's uh, science. Let's had also realized by this point that including the master in every single story was a big mistake. So the story ends with his arrest. He wanted to include... Oh, more. that'll hold him. Yeah, that'll hold him. <laughs> Actually, it does, but... Um, He also wanted to include more about the private lives of the unit crew, including the introduction of the Brigadier's wife, but for some reason Nick Courtney was dead set against that one. So we don't get anything really about the Brigadier's life, we just hear that he went on from that party and it's implied that he's sleeping with someone when he wakes up the next morning. The story was allocated more than the usual amount of location filming time, so a great deal of it takes place outside in the village of Aldburn. And finally, let's did insert one incident from real life into the script. Katie Manning did indeed get herself and John Pertwee lost once when they were on their way to a location shoot because she was holding the map upside down while he was driving. (laughs) Because the BBC disliked producers writing for their own programs, and since his production work was taking up so much of his time, let's turn to a friend of his wife... Uh, Robert Sloman, to help him co-write the script. And they use the name of Sloman's son and Letz's middle name to get the pseudonym Guy Leopold. We will do a biography of Sloman later, when we get to the Green Death, because he's the main writer for that one. Um, This is presumably why Letz was chosen to write this, the eighth target novelization. And it's one of the longest. It's really Mm -hmm. long. It's also been translated into Dutch and Portuguese which is interesting. And one other thing about uh, Barry Letts, this is the one official target novelization he did, but he did two radio plays in the 90s with John Pertwee and Elizabeth Sladen, and those count kind of as target novelizations, so we'll be reading those in order, in story order. Original stories? Original stories that he wrote and did um, as radio plays, and um, let's just say ahead of time they're not as good as this, but that's okay. Well...
3: Nothing that may has to. I? May I ask a question? Of course. All right. Holding My Demons by Barry Let. <laughs> on the hair. <laughs> my, my target novelization. The number on the spine says fifteen.
2: It does. Do you know the reason why?
3: No, and I'd like to know. Uh, okay. <laughs> Tell me. Yes,
2: we've we've avoided this for a long time. Though we did address it in one episode. We had to because Abominable Snowman is, uh, I think, number two or number four in the library, those numbers are, do not correspond to story order. They instead correspond to alphabetical order,
3: hmm.
2: believe it or not.
3: Interesting, thank so, you.
2: So it's not the fifth novelization, it's the eighth. But because it starts with the D, it's 15. They stopped that insane practice. And just
1: shaking my head speechlessly
2: yeah i don't even know why they bothered to be honest they should have just number them according to story order or publication order or something that made some like a sense but no they they didn't even stop doing it until time flight the very um the last story of davison's first season so it went on for a while but they still continue that ordering if you look on wikipedia so it's bizarre all right Among many other notables in this cast is, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, Damaris Heyman, playing the role of the White Witch, Miss Hawthorne, and whom I'm told by Jennifer is still alive and still playing the part. So Jennifer, would you tell us about
3: this? So I've been very excited about this podcast, and I've been researching areas where I can, and um, a few months ago, um, I also got the video of The Demons of Devil's End, and along with the book, Olive Hawthorne and the Devil's End. And I happen to be friendly with David Howe and Sam Stone, who have written and edited this. And um, researching it, I looked up the actress and was delightfully and um, delightfully discovered that Miss Heyman is still healthy and, and highly functioning. Oh, yeah. So I reached in, and realizing that Sam had Sam and Dave had used Damaris in this episode. Turns out th- that they are rather friendly, mm. and actually she's with Damaris. Sam and Dave are with Damaris today, <laughs> and uh, so wow. I I got to tell them about our our podcast today.
2: Oh, fantastic! You know what you should do, <laughs> because I'm going to hit you up in this way. Um, if they can record on their phones, you should ask them if they uh, they could have her record a bumper for us, because that would be amazing. We are here at the very beginning of our podcasts, you know, this is so-and-so, and you're listening to the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast. That would be so awesome. Yeah. Mm. Because we're going to try to do that for Katie Manning and for Richard, um, Richard, uh, Richard, 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 Richard uh, Captain Yates. Uh, Richard Franklin yeah yeah, yeah he's going to be at Chicago TARDIS in November so is David actually David Howe wrote the the target book which is basically the bible that we follow for this podcast even though we very rarely mention his name and I'm sorry really sorry about that he doesn't seem to know about our podcast though
3: well I can help you break that ground um and the, yeah the, actually him and his lovely wife Sam will be at TARDIS yes
2: oh terrific because yeah, I would love to have him record a bumper. I'm just gonna basically hit up everyone I can. But tell if you would tell them if Damaris would be willing to do one for us. I would be so grateful. She is ninety. Wow. Oh wow. She is ninety. And if you um, viewers, listeners, if you go to YouTube and you look up the White Witch of Devil's End, you will find the opening sequence for that original movie. And she looks amazing. It's like, I mean, you would think that somebody who appeared in the show when she was in her, I guess she was in her 30s at the time, her 40s.
3: I think she was 40 when it was broadcast, yes.
2: That's it, 40. And she 90 now, and her voice is even deeper and more resonant, and it's like, whoa. My name is Olive Hawthorne, and I am the White Witch of Devil's End. I have dedicated my life to protecting the village from evil but time is running out i have no successor my bloodline stops here as i look back at my life i also look forward in fear to an uncertain future this is astonishing this is really astonishing which craft can do for you (laughs) yeah it really can so and um actually i should i should bring that up too she um served as an unofficial advisor to the crew on magical matters because she had an interest in magic herself wow. so that was perfect casting yeah so jennifer as we usually do on this podcast we're gonna ask you to read the back cover if you would for us
3: well certainly um inspired by what you just said a minute ago each chapter was written by a different author, and Sam Stone hand-selected, or David and Sam, hand-selected each author because of their background in magic or earth-based religions. Oh,
2: the 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 one that you were talking about, the Olive Hawthorne book.
3: Yes. Oh wow!
2: Oh, that's awesome.
3: So I'm reading the back of the demons, not Olive, not Olive Hawthorne. <laughs> yeah, the uh, back of the okay. demons. Okay, I've got them both. Okay. Doctor Who is strangely concerned about Professor Horner's plan to cut open an ancient burrow near the peaceful village of Devil's End. Equally worried is Miss Hawthorne, the local white witch who foretells a terrible disaster if he goes ahead. The only person who wants the professor to open the borough is the new vicar, in truth the master, whose secret ceremonies are designed to conjure up from out of the borough a horribly powerful being.
2: Indeed, indeed. All right, so where do we want to start with this? Let's let's actually start with you, Jennifer, and talk about... You said that this uh, novelization was very important to you. The first time you ever saw this book, what was your first impression of it?
3: The book? I was excited, especially I was very young when I first got this book. Um, actually, this book is... the literal book is a month older than me. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> but I was very excited because that had been... Um, the Demons was a a very favorite episode to watch and um I was excited the cover was exciting and I I was kind of hoping for a little bit deeper view into Miss Hawthorne or some of the other characters involved and um so yes I was extraordinarily excited for you know you 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 watch the movie but the books always better. Mhm.
2: True. True. Mm-hmm. Allison, how about your first impression?
1: I really loved the beginning of it and had much more mixed feelings by the end, I think. Mm. Which is always how I feel about this sort of late 60s, early 70s genre of, or subgenre of 70s occult stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what I, what I would actually call it. I could think of many different um, examples of the aesthetic where there's always something kind of thrilling and then there's always something kind of gross yeah, as well. There really is. And, and that this. Uh, I thought it was going to be my favorite example of it at all time, but there's still this sort of mm, icky element as well. So at the yeah. end, I have some quite strongly positive feelings about it, and then some, some negative things I thought were kind of thrown in my face repeatedly.
2: Hmm. Okay, all right. <laughs>
0: Usually <laughs> which, the case. I was going to say, which <laughs> seems to happen a lot <laughs> uh, with some of these books. Um, I love it. I had I had so much fun reading this book. Um, being Being a little goth kid myself, <laughs> it just yeah it, it it really appealed to me on a lot of levels just yeah um like jennifer was saying kind of the the idea of science versus magic mm-hmm. has always been something that has appealed to me so the fact that it was really kind of at the heart of what was going on in mm-hmm. this book uh yeah just made it made it a really fun read to see where things were going to go mm-hmm. um i feel like the end kind of Wrapped up a little too quickly, which it always does. Always happens again, <laughs> but but still, uh, really enjoyed this guy.
2: Okay, so where do we want to start? What do we like about this book? What works particularly well?
0: Let's has a really good way of setting a scene Mm-hmm. and just just getting you in there and really feeling it. Yeah, um, some of the some of the scenes where the master is summoning the demon creep me out <laughs> it's super creepy oh yeah you, you feel the damp dark just ugh, <laughs> of, of under the church and and yeah i just i think he did a really good job throughout really of of making us feel like we were there
1: mm-hmm. I feel like he had. he was just plain enough and just showy enough in yeah. some of the language hmm. for example here we have someone uh, waking up, which happens a lot in this story. Uh, moments later, it <laughs> seemed uh, a lot of coming to, coming to, consciousness. <laughs> a lot of coming
2: to the consciousness.
1: Uh, uh, moments later, it seemed he was struggling out of the blank, straggling out of the blank depths of dreamlessness into a waking nightmare. It was hot, hotter than a tropical noontide, and the room was all a shake. And there, there was a lot of you know kind of simple but just enough turn of phrase imagery in there mm. that has terrific atmospherics mm-hmm. that I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm.
2: Definitely. What else?
3: What else do we like? Um, I particularly like especially with my interest in paganism and witchcraft, especially considering the time at which it was it was written and produced and and broadcast, uh, let's put a very positive spin on paganism and witchcraft. And I it was a very different approach and that was one thing that always fascinated me about this episode was the new and fresh and actually pretty factual representation of what a white witch is or was
2: yeah yeah Mm. he definitely did his homework and i'm sure that uh i'm sure that the actress playing miss hawthorne helped a lot with that it's it's definitely one of the more positive depictions of any sort of witchcraft to come out of the bbc in the early 70s because there's so many negative ones that i could list yeah it's really kind of crazy okay what else what else do we like I know this is a different way of going about this. <laughs>
3: well, inside in the inside the sport, uh, story, especially as a little girl, I just loved um, the doctor's puppetry of Bessie, and the sass that she portrayed. <laughs> oh yeah,
2: oh yeah, yeah. This whole thing of trying to bring uh, almost a story arc, trying to bring Joe around to the ways of rationality, even though I—that's actually one of the things I don't like about the book because I feel like. You created this character, you hired the actress, and you seem to hate both of them in the <laughs> writing of this book for some reason.
1: Do you think that's true, that Les doesn't like the
2: character? Um, it feels like it at times, just the way that the Doctor, if the Doctor is the standing character for the producer, the Doctor's really hard on her in mm. the story, which is something that bothered me in the televised version and bothers me even more in print because it's it's more stark.
1: Well, in a way that's not usual of their interactions. No. no. Sometimes he's dismissive, but this is more almost demeaning kind of thing. <laughs> yes. it, it, He almost exactly. backhands Miss Hawthorne, yeah. it seems no. like. I mean, he's not almost physically violent, but uh, mm-hmm. she's talking rubbish and nonsense, and not in a dismissive way, but he's almost angry yeah. at the way Miss Hawthorne is describing mm-hmm. things.
2: Yeah, he's usually a lot more indulgent of Joe than that, but... Mm-hmm. At one point, and this is the one that gets me and calls me the most, um, it is the scene in the pub in which the brigadier has said, we're going to blow our way in. And the doctor's saying, that's ridiculous. You shouldn't do that. And as soon as he's off the radio telephone, Joe says, how ridiculous that he's trying to blow his way in. Mm -hmm. And the doctor says... He is your superior officer. Yes, and he, it's yeah. a
1: big deal about respecting authority, yes.
3: which is... Excuse no. my language, I called him a dick when he said that. Yes. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I called him an asshole. Yeah. It's so out of character well, for it was, him.
1: It's not this doctor, it's not any of the ones that we've seen so no, far. No, I mean, Hartnell wants you to respect his authority, <laughs> but not, hierar- not military hierarchy. No,
0: seems- not at all. Well, and even in, with his nature of playing with the car and mm-hmm. some of his quips with some of the other characters... He has this playful side to him, yeah.
1: but not towards Joe. And the book no, does, but it's one of the... There were so many weird beats with Pertwee, I thought they would turn out to be some sort of influence of the demon on him, on his mindset oh, that was somehow, wow. you know, yeah. making him uh, cranky, for lack cranky. of a more scientific term.
2: Could have been, but they decided not to go that route. It's mm-hmm. just the Doctor being a dick to uh, Joe. Now, you could interpret it in one way. It could be that... The Doctor is trying to train her to be more rational, and he realizes that if she's outwardly as, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, as rebellious against the Brigadier as he is, she's going to get herself in trouble with her career, and he doesn't want that. Maybe. Right. He but has
0: different rules that apply to him. Exactly. Exactly.
2: But it does feel a little like your favorite uncle slapping you in the face. And you're like, why would you do such a thing to me? Yeah, yeah it felt like just, you know, <laughs> punching a puppy when it's down. And it wasn't the only time. There was some other point. Oh, God. When he says, did you did you fail Latin as well as science? Yeah. It's like, you dick, you. No one knows the magister is Latin for master. Please. Yeah, sorry. I went right to the negative, didn't I? <laughs>
1: it's because it stands out in so much so much delightful characterization yeah. yeah. that the fact that the doctor himself is a little bit off yeah. stands
2: out. Yeah. it really does. It really yeah, does.
0: It's it's uncharacteristic and it's a, it's a
2: stark change from what we're used to seeing. So Yeah. It is. It is. Because you're right. Otherwise, there isn't a lot of that. Mm-mm. In fact, there's some fantastic characterization in the story in fact um I'm going to ask Jennifer because she's as knowledgeable about the televised story as I am. Did you notice all of the additions that he does in this?
3: In the novelization? Yes. Yeah.
2: Can you uh, can you address some of those for us, the ones you like the most?
3: Well, the, um, specifically, the, um, I'm an animal lover. Um, I've always loved animals. And the inclusive of Miss Hawthorne's familiar. The, uh-huh. the detailed beginning about poor was that poor Jack, the dog? Yes. Poor Jack and his dog. So many animals being included, uh, where we don't necessarily get glimpses of some in the beginning um of the of the mo- of the uh, televised series, but uh not nearly as much as we get in the book. I love the animals repre- animal representation. And he did I feel make uh Miss Hawthorne's character deeper and explained her witchcraft better.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that instead of making the villagers all one uber villager with, um, you know, a, a flaming, flaming, whatever. And uh, what, what do you call those things when they're coming up on the castle and they're trying to kill the monster they have? Why am I having this moment of aphasia right now? Um, the haste thingies. Pitchforks. Pitchfork.
3: Pitchforks. I, I, I was
2: going to say torch, but I was like, certainly
3: funny. you need something else. Yeah.
2: Pitchforks, Pitchforks and torches. Pitchforks. Yes. There we go. Pitchforks and torches. It's been a long day, folks. Yes. I apologize. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it seems like instead of making them one uber-villager, as sometimes seems to happen with the TV version, there are distinct characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. Stan, for instance, is doesn't have a name really on the televised version as i recall but we spend a lot of time with him especially when it comes up to uh, joe's sacrifice yeah and that's pretty brilliant well it makes sense to make him have a,
0: a name like mm-hmm.
2: why would you have a nameless
0: character that has that big of a part yeah because a lot of what we're seeing is through his eyes
2: yeah well he doesn't have that big a part on the televised version no. instead so? he does say he's the one that says we shouldn't be doing this but it's basically an a line you give to an extra Okay, yeah.
3: who didn't have a Stan. stan. oh okay. yeah. yeah with that having been said i had trouble i i had read i had read this when we first talked about having uh the podcast and then i've recently reread it and i've been watching the demons in on pretty much re- repeat play while i've been doing things and rereading it this week i i had a little bit of trouble identifying stan
2: yeah yeah because mm-hmm. he's not there <laughs> He's essentially that guy in the robes at the very end who says, we shouldn't do this, it isn't right. That's who it's supposed to be.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, and he was not introduced as someone who seemed likely to be the hero. He was introduced as someone who uh, seemed destined to be a mass shooter, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he he actually has this sort of gross inner monologue uh, at the beginning about, oh, you know, the girls try to cast love spells. They pretend to not need us or want us, but I know they really do. And oh, God, like an asshole. Re- re- yes, yes. That's <laughs> yeah. the exact word I had in my notes. I really thought it was going to go a different way. Direction, uh, But I thought it was interesting that he is sort of a seedy little guy, but he has limits. Yeah. And even yeah. he can't take this. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. I think somewhere in my notes I wrote, who is Stan? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That
1: that makes him so angry that
3: a woman says,
2: who is
1: Stan, Stan even? <laughs> he doesn't Stan even know Stan. I'm alive.
2: Of course not. Yeah. It, it's stuff like that because... Anytime an author decides to just expand on a character who just wasn't there before and make them yeah. so integral to the plot, it, it always amazes me.
0: Well, it really, in, instead of just describing the scene where the master is summoning the demon, right. you get it through the eyes of a character. Yeah, exactly. You, you feel it, and that makes it more personal it really so does that yeah it's it's so good where he he uses that instead of just being like here's the scene that's happening it's no this character's there and this is what they're feeling in that
2: moment yeah because the master's not feeling that Fuck no. the human characters have to feel it <laughs> and i also like the inclusion of uh the master's uh, speaking of animals the master's little lamb <clears throat> mm-hmm. yes um I think uh, Dalton picked up on on that, and I don't know if Allison has. If you look at the Master's Incantations, Mm The later ones are Mary had a little oh, lamb backwards. I did not notice. <laughs> yeah. And those are indeed the, the, the incantations in the oh, televised version. Oh, I did version, not notice. Which is just wonderful.
3: A step aside, if I can add, um, I could not re-find it. I'd I just have to dig. But uh, the name Damaris Haman is spelled backwards and used in the episode as one of the master's incantations.
2: Oh, that's the other one. Dalton, you were saying earlier, trying to figure out what it was. Well, there you go. And Damaris Haman.
0: Okay. Because, well, to me it just looked like random letters, but if it's a name, it's
2: a... Yes. I would agree. That is really brilliant. That is really great. So what else? What else do we like? What, What did we have questions about? Because that's the one thing about this story. It does leave us with some questions, and I think that's why Allison was... She's nodding her head right now, so I'm thinking you were... That's why you left the story feeling a little... Yeah.
1: Questions about...
2: Questions about the resolution of it.
1: Well, Miss, Miss Hawthorne is such a terrific character in so many ways that I expected more at the end there'd be a bit more of a resolution about whether she was war right, the doctor was, or they were correct about different aspects of things, especially since they have a pretty explicit conversation at the end about how, so I was right. No, I was right. No, you were terribly wrong. <laughs> um... So some weird mixed things um, mm-hmm. in this story such a good character, but then there was kind of this odd beat that Benton thinks she's kind of throwing herself at him. And I thought at first he was misunderstanding, but then she kind of is a yeah, bit. she is a bit. And I, I don't think she actually desire, would desire this guy. No, it it seems no. a little... <laughs> kind of, but they, they did some nice things with the character of Benton as well. So the... I, I can't even complete my sentences. I feel so mixed about yeah. this story. That, no, the, that. The humor is so good. Like, well, you know, the brigadier can. He can join us later. <laughs> <So> <laughs> nice atmospheric. So when I referred earlier to waking up from a dream, that's something that happens a lot. I actually love the, the fever dream. Small village, bright colors, oh, yeah. with sort of uh, the pseudo-medieval motif um, aesthetics of this story. Mm. But I sometimes found it was challenging to follow some of the characterizations and some of the mechanics. Mm. Like, it was actually kind of challenging for the middle third of the book to know when you were dealing with... Um, I'm blanking out his name. Not Spock, not Doc... Um, Bok, 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 Goose, Yes, Bok or the Demon.
2: Right, right.
1: You know what? What, what is very small, and then it's sometimes very large. Is, mm-hmm. that, that, is, is, is all. that? Yes, yes. But it was kind of more challenging to, to figure out mm-hmm. earlier on. These we we've had very good characterization of Jo in recent books, and it was strange for me to uh, read an entire story of her. In the words of uh, David Bowie, trembling like a flower. (laughs) And... I, I can't even put my sentences together because there's so much I enjoy, but I'm having trouble congealing the entire plot and characterization together in my mind.
2: Now I get that.
1: It isn't quite set up, as yeah, something I've used before.
2: I think that's probably why I never liked the televised version. I was telling Dalton uh, before, this book actually makes me appreciate it more. <laughs> but up until now, I'd only been exposed to the black and white version of the story mm-hmm. because it was lost, and the color version was lost for mm-hmm. so long, and they've reproduced the color. It's a very different experience watching it in black and white. And for some reason, even though it's only five episodes, it feels like it's an episode and a half too long when you're watching it. And I would never appreciated any of those things, but I seem to like them better on, in print. Yeah. But yeah, there, there's some odd things about this. Jennifer, would you say there's anything in this book that you find, found yourself disliking, even being familiar with the TV version?
3: Hmm... That's a tough one. Yeah. Well,
2: <laughs> you don't have to. You don't have to be, no. be as negative as we are because we've got a <laughs> reputation around here to maintain.
1: <laughs> well, I feel I've said too many negative things because there was so much that I enjoyed. Well, no, there, there, are,
2: some, there, are, some no. there are some flaws here.
0: There's. Well, you were, you were saying that the atmosphere... At times, I, I even found myself saying, mm-hmm. is this another time? Is this another era? And it's like, no, no, there's still... It's, it's contemporary, yeah. but mm-hmm. in a, if you didn't have some of the unit aspects, mm-hmm. this could have taken place in the 1600s. It really could have. This could have just been the doctor and his companion dropped into this village. Yeah,
2: could have been a period piece yeah. very easily. and it totally would have worked. Yeah.
1: But I did love the pseudoscience. Oh, good. I, I didn't understand it well enough to know if it was really... Physically on the up and up, or, or physically possible. But, <laughs> but the imagery was a lot of fun with right. the heat shield and the burning circles. I think it's kind doing, of. Doing a sort of refrigerator coil maneuver.
2: Right. I think it's interesting that the doctor keeps saying, no, it's science, but he never explains exactly how it's scientific or why, as Miss as, um, Hawthorne herself calls them, window dressings are actually part of the ritual that has to be done to make this mm-hmm. technology work. It's like, okay, I'd like a little bit more of that, please, because that's, that's interesting. Yeah. I want to know.
3: I was going to, I was like all excited. I found something that I could have stood some more of based on what you were just saying. Um, I could have certainly um, enjoyed more a celebration of the Maypole and maybe even more story about the Maypole and what it actually meant. Um some of it would probably have to be buffered down for children, as well as uh, the Morris Dancers. Uh, when I was young, I had no idea what a Morris Dancer was. And because of this story, I've studied some Morris dancing, and, and it's really quite uh, adorable, for lack of a better word. Can you
2: tell us more about that? Because that was something I meant to uh, do some research on before the podcast and completely forgot to do. Yeah, I meant
0: to read about Beltane, so... Oh, I can tell you about that.
3: Well, the that- Beltane I can inform you on. Uh, the Morris dancing I'm I'm still r- really, rather weak on, other than it is, it is a pagan dance. Um, it is uh, the bells and um, whistles and the bats are to scare away negativity and demons. Uh, the little b- battalion things that they were hitting each other with was supposed to be scaring away demons and negativity and um i was talking to a fellow englishman um and we started talking about morris dancing and he's like that's just our square dancing
2: (laughs) (laughs) yes it kind of is and it's interesting because i'm looking it up right now it dates back to 1448 so it's been around for quite some time since the middle ages when Probably the dance would have been considered something to keep us safe from Satan's power when we have gone astray. It's got that same sort of feel to it. What I'm, part
1: of the country is this story set in?
2: This is set in... Oh, you would ask me that. Um, <laughs> I, I should put that in my notes. Let me look it up real quick. Let's see. It is filmed in...
3: Starts with an A.
2: It does. It's all burning, <laughs> But I was, I was trying to remember where the, uh, the Shire was. It's Wiltshire. And Wiltshire is smack dab in the center of the South, okay. so they've got those weird accents where they leave the out of the out of the sentence sometimes. Um, it's got a very countrified accent to some ears. It doesn't sound as sophisticated when actually it's closer to the uh, English of Chaucer than anything else. Hmm. But yeah, it's right down there. Um, Salisbury Plain is down there, for instance, and the Henges, Stonehenge, and uh, the uh, Avebury Stone Circles are there.
1: This is a uh, sort of activity that the Puritans were so utterly offended by to the point where... i remember if it was Devon they considered uh, the darkest, most spiritually dark part of the country. Yes. Uh, they considered it still too pagan, still too Catholic, but... Um, There was a colony that, there was a a, a New England colony that was set up after the Massachusetts Bay Colony, that the Massachusetts Bay Colony strongly disapproved of and resented, and when that other colony, which uh, was full of, in their minds, sort of spiritual misfits, put up a maypole, they actually sent a military force to put a stop to it. I'm telling the story with a lot of holes in it, I don't remember the details, but...
2: Holy
1: shit! But I but I, it's interesting. Cause I would have thought the May the, the more, more and the and the Maypole custom would have gone back further
2: than that. Yeah, I, I yeah, I'm kind of surprised by that too. As a matter of fact, thank you for bringing that up because I do. What I can do is look at Maypole. I'll see uh, the history of it in the United States. Oh, there we go. Oh, that might be it. Uh, let's see. The earliest use of the maypole in America occurred in 1628 when William Bradford, governor of New Plymouth, wrote of an incident where a number of servants, together with the aid of an agent, broke free from their indentured service to create their own colony, setting up a maypole in the center of the settlement, and behaving in such a way as to receive the scorn and disapproval of the nearby colonies, as well as an officer of the king bearing patent for the state of Massachusetts. Oh, and that's what Nathaniel Hawthorne's story, of The Maypole of Marymount, is about. Marymount, right. yes. That's Marymount. That's I
1: couldn't call the call the name of. But that's uh, it's, it. It's a very interesting cultural intersection of traditional religions, but Christian elements as well, and yeah. syncretism that I'd like to learn more about.
2: Yeah, it really is fascinating. Well,
1: the White Witch goes to see the vicar, not knowing he's the master, and expects cooperation. And right
2: and doesn't get it. Well, she says we
1: deal with the real things, mm-hmm. I think is her, her phrase. So she yeah. identifies more with a vicar than those who practice what she considers the dark magic. Right. I thought was quite interesting. And
2: it's interesting the way she characterizes the master initially. She thinks she, he's one of those... Philosophical news. She thinks he's too
1: liberal. Yes, exactly. It's <laughs> all ah, it going on about psychology and whatnot.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think he. she is addressing something that was happening in the early 70s. There was a liberalization of the Anglican Church happening around that time. But
1: then she later talks about, well, there's this psychological moment, then, you know, that no. looks out the window and sees, like, the mob coming and says, I think we found your psychological <laughs> moment. So she also has some interesting sort of modern interpretations. Yeah, I she does.
2: In fact, that whole last scene where she almost uh, destroys Bach before he changes mm-hmm. back, that's not in the televised mm-hmm. version. And I think it's one of the most brilliant additions to the story. Yes. Yeah. I wish it had gone through so we could see her actually defeating Bach as well, well as the doctor doing it from his point of
0: view. And that kind of is what leaves us on the unresolved ending because even she says, you know, I wish I would have been able to see my plan come to fruition. But yeah. Now I never will, so you still can't fight me about whether it's science or magic because you didn't let me fulfill my end of the deal. And <laughs> were, you,
1: we're accustomed as a reader to getting a tip-off about whether or not her plan would have worked or would not have. Exactly, we we I don't thought know. maybe I had missed it. but
2: No, nope, not <laughs> at all. No. Then the church blew up. One <laughs> <Yes. laughs> <With> the most <laughs> understated lines in the whole book. Yeah. And the, um, in fact, the original special effect, is as silly as it looks on screen, uh, got complaints from um, people calling into the BBC who thought they'd blown up an actual church for the story. Oh goodness! Yeah.
1: I know. <laughs> yes. uh. No permission or anything. There was a service going on at the time. Yeah, yeah.
2: exactly. <laughs> That's probably what's missing from this. To some degree, is that and some some things are left hanging in the air a bit. Mm-hmm. The doctor's strange characterization. And yet yeah.
1: these delightful throwaway lines, like, I'm not going to stand here like a spare lemon waiting for a squeeze. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that was fun.
1: <laughs> there was some great oddball humor in here. There
2: really it's,
1: its uneven application made it all the better.
2: And, of course, the Brigadier's famous line, chap with the wings, five, five rounds rapid. When he's um, having his uh, sharpshooter shoot a bomb. He said "Reverse to him as chap with the wings.
1: Oh yes, yes.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> chap with the wings. Which is Nicholas Courtney's favorite line from the whole show. Effective communication.
1: They knew exactly who he meant to Exactly. He
2: even called his biography Five Rounds Rapid. <laughs> Which is just hilarious. I That's love
1: good. that the Squire is so horrified at the idea of you want me to chair a meeting over oh, crying. Out
2: loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a lot of small town stuff here. and Oh,
1: I love the um, small towns. politics. I uh, adore
0: that stuff. One of my favorite little one liners is uh, when they're getting through the barrier mm-hmm. and it's kind of like affecting all the power. The doctor says that it looks as if someone put some knockout drops in its hell juice. <laughs>
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I, I want to
0: bottle hell juice, hell
1: and juice. juice. I'm <laughs> like, well, what is the recipe for this cocktail? I don't
2: know what hell the hell juice. that is. Well, literally. Yeah. How interesting. It, it
1: probably involved Tabasco, so. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Spicy. <laughs> I will say, this book had me going to the dictionary a lot more than previous books had. Yes.
1: Have. Well, with, starting with the first page, like... Mm-hmm then I googled oh, it it's yeah. so, like a two-wheeled cart or no. a wheelbarrow I'm like that doesn't <laughs> yes. really make any sense at all that they have an ancient one what do we they're going to them cut them into
2: what do we call them here we don't call them glade. Oh, I was not... thinking that...
3: well, not... of compared to maybe a glade. I was thinking of a yeah. cairn
2: I thought yeah I thought it was a cairn or a burial mound yeah or Indian mounds, as they call them in Louisiana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's essentially the same as that.
0: I know it because of video games, oh, really? RPGs. Oh, a lot of yeah. times being fantasy
2: driven. Not an ancient two wheeled trolley, but mm-hmm. Skyrim, a barrow graph. Skyrim has some all over the place.
1: But my favorite—this is the best exasperated footnote we've read in many books. It's been a while since we have one, but we have. <laughs> I don't know the linguistic name of this character. That the A and the E is one character.
0: Oh
3: Diplong. No. Um, yeah.
1: dip diplong, yeah. yeah, But dip I love the asterisk it says pronounce "Demon" <laughs> with two E's. <laughs> idiot American, don't say daemon,
2: it's demon. Or idiot Brits. I hear fans calling it the daemon. But the, but all the, the double
1: E, D, E, E, M O
2: N S. Yes, just so you know. Yeah. And, and then
1: the, the asterisk I think it rolled its eyes at me.
2: Yes. <laughs> and and yet we get a writer who again is calling the main character doctor who, doctor who and it's the frickin' producer i
1: still think that's an editor i rolled mandate. my eyes at it yes, <laughs> I marry, oh, right? wait, once or maybe twice just right? once it's at just
2: the, very, at the beginning. very beginning yeah and that's usually when it happens on these books until they finally realize you know what that's not the character's name and we're just doing ourselves a disservice by trying to uh be all you know
1: did I miss follow through with uh, Mrs. Bates's hens and why they
2: weren't laying? No. <laughs> they never told us about the hens. They, they were, were scared because
3: of the negative energy in the air. The yeah, demons. It's, just oh. oh.
2: it's just That will throw them
3: off their, their eggs any time.
2: I guess it would at that. Okay, that makes sense.
3: My, my girls don't like it if I give them medicine. They don't give me eggs for a day or so if, once I give them some medicine for a day. <laughs> okay,
2: <yeah. laughs> so that would be it. Yeah,
3: They're finicky little girls.
2: They certainly
1: are. Usually in a story about science versus um, the supernatural, the answer is yes. (laughs) Usually the answer is the thing that seems supernatural, paranormal, has a scientific explanation beyond what current science previously had known about. Right. And this mostly goes in that direction with, well, these are out of space Baphomets, sort of. Um, and I guess I expected a little bit more follow through with things like the hens, and that yes, that's a sort of scientific thing where you know hens don't lay when they are upset. Mm-hmm. They are upset because of the devil. Well, it's no. not actually the <laughs> devil. So I thought there might be a little bit more of a wink at the end about the hens are picking up on something quite magical and paranormal, or how normal been. and explained it was. They didn't quite settle.
2: Yeah, there probably should have been.
3: You could also, I've been trying to come up with words what you were trying to compare earlier about your kind of lack of closure at the end of the entire book. Um, I've always been very satisfied with it, and I would, I could best illustrate it back to, I liked that that the doctor stood by his science ground and she stood by her magic ground. Um, I'm re, I can refer back to my science and religion. Uh, we had to do a single, integrated, we had to choose one of four pathways. And... I always and talking you guys were talking about she gave a little and he gave a little but neither they both stood their ground and that was um in the class that I took it represented the integrated kind of science and religion and that to me just kind of showed me a balance that it's always moving and always shifting one way or the other and neither of them had to give give more than what they'd already given and I was like all right they're both going to stand their grounds and I was kind of content with their n- neutrality at the end mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah it, it does it does lend itself to that yeah like you said that the science versus religion argument mm-hmm. you know people that believe in creationism not understanding that mm-hmm. scientific explanations for the beginning of the universe have reason for being mm-hmm. but it doesn't say that what you believe in and the core tenets of your religion are wrong right They can work together. They can exist simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Just because you don't understand it doesn't mean you can't utilize it and use it for your own good. For that matter, if we
2: look at the creation myth in uh, Christianity and the way Genesis uh, describes the creation of the universe, it doesn't sound that far removed from an outsider's view of the Big Bang. Right. There was darkness, and suddenly there was light. Yeah. And a lot of it. And heat, and all sorts of things.
0: And instead of skipping all the boring parts where the universe is expanding forever, they just skip right to humanity. Yeah, precisely. <laughs>
2: it took seven days. It <laughs> took seven yeah.
0: epochs yeah. or whatever. It's like, <laughs> these chapters are boring. Get
2: to the good part. <laughs> oh, my. Speaking of other things that I had to go to the dictionary for, I had never heard anyone refer to something being parky. The doctor says that it was Parky for a while, but I
1: wondered at first if it was one of the OCR scan issues. The no, most delightful not. OCR scan issue was us all the Z uh, being replaced with an N. Oh, <laughs> in God, one yeah. place.
2: It we're turned it to anal. Anual. There it, was anal. anal. Yes, yeah, so talking
1: about the darkness of the barrow <laughs> yeah. and all the experiments that oh, had oh happened there. God, <laughs>
2: you always go to the anal. Okay, but <laughs> hey, in this case, wasn't no. It was not. It, it, was was it wasn't you. It, was it wasn't an OCR. It was <laughs> <laughs> actually Parky, and it, it's a misreading of perky which means cold so there we are and shifty apparently is a loan word in the british military from arabic okay. because when they were stationed somewhere that spoke arabic i think in the egypt for world war ii they the soldiers were constantly being sold on um, pornographic postcards okay and the way they would thrust on the soldiers, they would say shufti, shufti, it means take a look. Uh, mm. Yeah, so take a look-see for instance. It okay. comes from the same uh, root of it. That was
1: quite culturally rich. I I, I feel so. schooled
2: in all I've, the best ways. Hey, that's what we're here for, to make fun of the books sometimes too much Hi. and to teach our listeners something.
3: There was a section where uh, Miss Heyman had, in her mind, described the master and it was Garjujan's Oh, I had to look that one up. Yeah, what was that? Which chapter was that? It's like, oh goodness, I should, I should have made better notes for that. No, no,
2: no, no. It's usually, usually I catch stuff like that, but I, I think I already knew that particular usage. I just can't remember what it means. Uh, I
3: basically demonic. Yeah. And maybe in nine. Let me, um, not nine. Page nine is the new chapter. The new vicar. That may have been it, but. I had to look that one up.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's is definitely doing what this show does best, which is try to teach the young kitties about certain things that may or may not be true. (laughs) 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 Quite a bit, actually.
1: (laughs) I, I was absolutely delighted by uh, Winston Lee the squire <laughs> and <laughs> his disdain for meetings, but the, uh, the the master's attempted seduction of him uh, with the, the prospect of being sort of the fascist overlord, kind of titillating him a bit. So we start off the scene with, you know, with Stanley took an uneasy swig of his drink and we've seen him, you know, basically do nothing but sit around and relax mm-hmm. and drink and enjoy the weather and think about scratching the hounds up till now. <laughs> uh, open to suggestions, Vicar. Well, now, I would suggest you call a little meeting. Not too large, you understand? Say, 30 to 40 more prominent villagers. And which just looked up the squires, you know, stares at him with glazed eyes. Right. By the end of the page, the vicar jumped to his feet, started to pace up and down. Decadence. That's what I can see on every side. All this talk of democracy, equality, freedom. What this country needs is decision, power, strength. Strong men. Men of power. Men of decision. Men like you, Winston Leigh, who's like, Presumably sitting there with his pint Mm -hmm. and his feet up, but then I thought it was was very
2: Trumpian, too.
1: (laughs) Not getting away from it. He was a sensible chap. Go on, said the squire. I don't know why, but it just made me laugh out loud on the train. It was so funny. Like,
2: Go on.
1: His, his Actually, lack of self-awareness about who and what he yes. is, that he might be the strong man
3: to replace democracy. <laughs> but he might have to chair meetings. He might have to chair meetings. That would be bad. I found what I was looking for. Yeah. And yeah. It was the G word. W- I was, ended up being a link from this word. It's Mephistophelian.
2: Mephistophelian. I had to look that one up. Mephistophelian. Mephistophelian. Mephistophelian.
3: Mephistophelian. So
2: clever. Yeah, it comes from Mephistopheles. Yes, as in, um, what is that word from uh, wrapped around your finger by the leaves? Mephistopheles is not your name. I know you're, what you're up to just the same. As if to say, you know, you're you're de- you're not you're not devilish, but you might as well be. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I guess my my. My, my eyes just kind of tra- trace right over that because it's like, oh, yeah, devilish. <laughs> but yeah, Let let's is really just going to the thesaurus for this. And it's a good thing. A it good is way. us
1: who have to go to the dictionary. It is us who have to go to he the dictionary. He no needs
2: thesaurus. Yes. Well, as they say, the thesaurus is a great book. There's no other word for it.
1: Oh sorry. No well, oh, that
3: actually puts <laughs> be in mind about was about the
1: appalling joke. Yeah. Well, what's the language? Elemental, my dear Benson. Elemental. Ben <laughs> doctor, <laughs> the doctor, said the doctor wickedly. Before the sergeant could react to the doctor's excruciating joke.
2: There we go. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Even he's excruciating joke. joke. i I've, I've never passed up a good dad joke. No. Oh, uh, especially I, Hawthorne Miss Hawthorne's a bit about her ridicule. When she says, "Oh, the out the outcome is quite clear," <laughs> <laughs> yes, like she's looking in the magic eight ball. Um,
0: the I like the villagers referring to the demon as Old Nick. Yeah, that reference yes. and that usage—something um, that I wasn't familiar with until a couple of years ago. After
2: I think seeing the witch. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes back quite far in um, mm. in British uh, demonology. As a matter of fact, um, we'll get there eventually, but Tom Baker and Ian Martyr used to pass the time on the set uh, between takes by coming up with an idea for their own Doctor Who script called Doctor Who Meets Scratch Man, and it was literally going to be the Doctor Meeting the mm. Devil, and it was going to be played by Vincent Price. They mm. were thinking of doing Naturally. a movie. And he has since written this as a book. Okay. Mm. So I'm thinking that we might actually put that in our reading order, because I, I can't deny that I want to read the Tom Baker written book at some point. Yeah. But that brings up the point that I had about Chapter 7. When Let's of course, clears up once and for all how that damn title is pronounced, um, his explanation of the, for the ubiquity of horns might be argued against by some historians and sociologists because they'd say, no, horns have always well, been... Well, I
1: think of Moses, the translation issue. Yeah, it was a translation industry.
2: issue rather than anything else. But in terms of story writing, it's not far removed from a story I've referenced on this program a couple times, uh, Quatermass in the Pit. Mm-hmm. Except there, the horns come from the fact that the aliens from Mars have um an antenna that okay. are like horn-like. And that's why they're associated with devils and demons because they kidnapped humans from Earth, subjected them to torture and to scientific experiments, and then brought them back on a regular basis. Mm. Yeah, we should we should all watch that sometime. <laughs> I love that. All right, so what else? I've so
1: got um, Stan's squirmy little oh, monologue teed up here. It's, uh, you can feel free to edit this out, but... So magic. It was difficult to believe he was mixed up in it. He'd always heard tales of se- uh, secrets not to be spoken out loud, of the love spells and recipes for potions, for instance, which the girls whispered to each other when the men folk were whor- around. Pretended to laugh at them, they did, with their mini skirts and their perfume, but Stan knew better. Another thing he knew, because Bob Woods had told him she was Bob Grand's after- she and she was Bob's Gran after all, was that when Mrs. Slater inherited the 2,000 pounds from her brother Josiah, it was on account of her having got fed up and on waiting. And made a little doll of candle grease and christened it Josiah, and then shoved a darning needle through its heart. And nobody could deny, could they, that it was his heart killed him? Just stopped. Poof, there it was. Or, proof, there it was. So when his uncle Tom said to come along to the coven like, well, he jumped at it. Get anything he wanted, Tom said. What he learned how. Didn't want to kill nobody. Though I wouldn't mind making old prune face jump a bit, putting up the rent like that. I'm like, man, that's a pretty misogynistic monologue. <laughs> and I guess um, I, I expected him to be the villain after that and was a little uh, disturbed that he was not. No. And I uh, I guess passages like this, um, I, maybe I'm too moralistic. I, I always want a stronger uh, revelation of that person as the villain or to have changed their mind
2: I think by the end he has.
1: I think he has changed mm-hmm. his mind. I
2: think that whole thing about saving Joe and the church is his uh, redemption. But
1: it kind of soured for me a bit where Joe is really pulling a triple Victoria in this oh, book. It's actually more what people <laughs> describe Victoria as being. She doesn't do that much in the books. That's true. Like in terms mm-hmm. of screaming and weeping and trembling and, and gnashing of
2: teeth and rending of garments. Yeah.
1: Well, and and Yates being extremely paternalistic and yet oh, vaguely God, yeah. romantic and a rather icky kind of combination. Yeah. and Which over- mm-hmm.
2: so they finally move away well, from. the
1: doctor gives her a sedative she doesn't entirely consent to in a way that's kind of <laughs> gross like no i don't think i want the treatment no they're there yeah girl. and
2: then we get an evil dead type scene where she's attacked by vines
1: so yeah this is what was kind of queasy to me mm-hmm. and then contrasted to miss hawthorne who's this fantastic character that's yeah. sort of that, that's queasy might be the word for the mix for me yeah
2: and i can understand that for sure it's definitely not joe's finest hour we i'm still so waiting for i know <laughs> And you're going to get it. You are going to get it. The last book was a
1: finer hour.
2: The last book was finer
1: that's for sure. Joe doesn't have to be particularly insightful in my mind. Mm -hmm. I think of her more like Jamie and her better portrayals, that she's always trying to figure things out, and sometimes she does things that are rash or Mm ill-advised, and sometimes she's too easily startled. Right. But...
3: She's not wilting. No, no, she has different No, I've, I've always loved her character very much, exactly for that. And uh, I think the addition of her, is in comparison to Liz Shaw, uh, she's just brightened. She adds a light air and her innocence and her always eagerness to please. I think adds a different air. Though I love a strong woman and a woman in science, uh, I, I just love the glitter she throws around while she's on, on, on the set with the doctor. And, what and I, was I, was I love the lightness she brings. Agreed. What I was frustrated
1: by here is that we're used to, with Joe's quote at her work, she's trying to be the hero. She just doesn't quite know how. She's yeah. very new. And we're not used to seeing a companion quite this relentlessly victimized mm. in, True. In, in quite a few stories.
0: Yeah, well. Yeah, uh, it's going to be.
2: Well, just, uh, just wait. Sarah Jane Smith, right around the corner. Oh, God. And yet she's my favorite companion. And gets the same sort of treatment, oddly enough. Um, There is one thing I want to point out that I absolutely adore. That the Master in Chapter 8 is so regretful that he's killed the Doctor that he remembers all their good times together, carousing on Gallifrey. I
1: imagined a montage.
2: Yes! Yeah. exactly and he's like oh come on i i, I can't think about that right now i've got to i've got to take over the world yes i'll i'll warn him later it's fine that's like oh my god yeah. you, you've got a crush on him don't you and later on we find out of course that he does <laughs> he just has to change gender in order to uh, express it properly <laughs> oh, much much later much much later all right last thoughts before we head on to uh goodreads you don't have to give us your um you don't have to give us your rating just yet but just some
3: just a a few little other comparisons just little tiny ones in the episode uh in the serial we got to see the doctor when when the doctor was frozen the doctor that was checking him out and making sure he was dead um that, that they made reference to the two hearts in the episode and we did not get that in the book. And we and I missed that and another one was is once again my my little hero Miss Hawthorne um in the episode she reached into her TARDIS like purse grabs out a crystal ball and bashes the guy in the head where where he, this magical force comes in and bat- battles uh Yates up or Benton up. And, and we didn't get to see that her bash him in the head with a crystal ball. <laughs> No, I thought there well, was no, it, a scene. Yeah, it yes, is missing. Yes, there. yes, yes, yes so She says it kind of
0: like, yeah, right.
2: the outcome is She says it's a reticule, which is a, another word for a crystal ball.
3: Oh, did I? I guess I missed it because I was kind of looking for it.
2: Yeah, you reticule. Would... I had to go to the uh, dictionary for that one. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a crystal ball. Yeah.
3: Oh, okay. Did I? I must, I must have, have been reading been too fast and Mystic it to looking
2: for it. it. No, yeah, it's definitely there. That was a good part. It yes, was a yes, great part. I love that part. I was also. I'm sorry.
0: No, go ahead. I was just going to say a um, part that illustrates kind of the point of you don't have to believe in the principle for it to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the doctor uh, scares Bach off, yes. and he's explaining later, uh, you don't believe in magic. I don't know, but he did, fortunately. Wow. He thought it was wow. a spell. That's why he ran away. Actually, the first line of a venusian lullaby yes and then Mm -hmm. the line is close your eyes my darling well three of them Mm, at at least
2: least.
3: (laughs) 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 and and then when miss Hawthorne used a placebo to cure the hangover which was his migraine yeah Yeah. that that was cute she doesn't do
2: that on screen and i love that moment yeah absolutely adore that moment um speaking of venusian lullaby of course that line lends itself to a title of a book in the 90s with a Hartnell, um, Ian and Barbara story that takes place right after Dalek Invasion of Earth where they go back to Venus as it's in the throes of climate change mm. and they beat the dying Venusian race. So, you know, why Pertwee's always talking about Venusians at this okay. point. Um, there's something else I wanted to address. Chapter 8 makes me feel a little less like the Doctor's dickish. Because it's it's the follow-through to that scene that I had such trouble earlier where he just snaps at her for not giving the Brigadier any uh, respect. And she's still feeling it at the beginning of Chapter 8. She's like, she's really kind of hurt. And then he says, well, look at how nice this guy is. Mm-hmm. And she forgives him. And I, I was like, I wish that scene had been in the televised version. I probably liked the story better. Yeah. Because I could see the doctor doing that, making up to somebody without actually saying I'm sorry. I,
1: yeah. I go through these. I take screenshots of parts that I might want to refer to when we're recording, and mm-hmm. usually there are only one or two that I don't delete at the end. And this will be the one that I don't oh, delete. Nice. And this one. If I could I read a bit of it. Yeah, yeah, please. You sound happy. She said, "You must be very sure if this idea. This idea of yours will work." The doctor looked surprised. I was singing because, oh, the the sky is blue, I suppose. But the demon and the end of the world and all? Oh, yes, of course, the end of the world, but that's not now. That will be tomorrow or this evening or five minutes time. And right now the sky is blue. Just look at it. Joe looked and looked again. It certainly was blue, a deep, almost cobalt blue overhead fading to a pale greeny duck egg blue near the horizon. She stared around, drinking in the blueness, becoming the blueness, and suddenly found that she was singing too. Mm-hmm. See what I mean? Smiled the doctor.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's yeah, a, I did too. It's an apology, but it's a non-apology. And not in a bad way, like the way certain elected officials do non-apologies. <clears throat> but yeah, it balances out the negativity of that scene in such a way that I yeah. really wish we'd gotten it filmed.
1: And yet... Briefly before that, we have the Doctor laid a finger on Joe's lips. No more questions. Not now. <laughs> Which just makes you want to send an emissary to backhand <laughs> yeah. the, the, the thought. Not a person, but the do- to backhand the dialogue there, because that is not the Pertwee Doctor that we know. No,
2: have. it really isn't. It really isn't. Um, one thing I want to bring up about the very end, when Joe has her moment of self-sacrifice, and Azal... Starts acting like a computer that's been given bad data. Does not compute. Yeah. Does, not compute. Yeah, mm-hmm. Does not compute. And that bothers me one hell of a lot. Because, of course, it leads to this damn explosion that he warns them about, in fact. And says, I must die alone. Go away. And, and it's like, uh, you know what? Instead of blowing up the damn church, why couldn't he have just taken Joe's impulse for self-sacrifice as a sign that humanity had not failed? and just go.
1: I was a little unclear on how the mechanics of the sacrifice were supposed to work yeah. for the Master and for Azal. And I could have just read a little too swiftly at the end and missed
2: that. But I don't think it's ever explained. I don't think it's ever explained. In fact, Azal doesn't even say he needs a sacrifice. Um, he just decides that the Doctor's got to go because he's non-rational, which is interesting. It seems a lot more like a computer's decision than anything else.
0: I think the sacrifice is is kind of the artifice and the the idea of this is how you bring us all this is right. the ritual that we do when we want to summon him mm-hmm. and so the sacrifice is just a part of that window dressing as we said earlier it's just right. it's just part of that hmm. whether okay. it actually does anything or not you know it's just something we've been doing all this all this time so you know. why stop now
2: true well <laughs> true <laughs>
1: In unintentional humor, I've, I've actually seen this uh, difference before, or, or read anecdotes about this difference between American English and British English, uh, leading to uh, dif- uh, <laughs> awkward situations. <laughs> so, Sergeant Benton is trying to censor his language so it's not too adult. Yes and indicated Katie would probably be saying well I'll be damned but he changed it to well I'll be blue which of <laughs> yeah. course is significantly dirtier in American English but I'm told this is more like yeah. knock me over with a feather knock
2: me over with a feather <laughs> so, rather yeah, than that's exactly a it. demand
1: for service
2: yeah. <laughs>
1: God well
2: on that note maybe we should go to Goodreads <laughs> um, yeah let's do that shall we Alright, so as we always do, let's go to goodreads.com for online reviews of the book written by other readers, then follow up with their own readings. By the way, if you're listening to this podcast and you want to have your review featured, when we get to an upcoming book or you simply have a question about it, simply read the book, write a review, or comment in our Goodreads group by the deadline so we have a chance to see it here. Um, See it before we discuss the book. You may even get your review read out loud here. And guys, remind me to put up the, the thing for the next book because I forgot to do that have to do that before i leave tonight yeah the average rating for this book on goodreads out of five stars is 3.83 which is interesting that's relatively high fask that's t-h-a-s-c gives it five stars and says i like the illustrations that are in the book we didn't even talk about the illustrations um like the cover that i have of the book that shows um uh, Azal with his treasure trail going all the way down to hairiness. Um Kind of like a
1: fur galluses yes, like crossing yes. His
2: chest. Yes, it's like you know, the, it's like, like he, the leather gear you see in IML every But here he was behind. he was
1: allergic to whatever the
2: material was. <laughs> and
1: now... it's a fur. <laughs>
2: Or he spilled Rogan all over it or something. <laughs> God, that's terrible. The story stays faithful to the televised version of it. The only thing that did disappoint me was when the master's talking to Miss Hawthorne and he says, have a cup of tea. I've often said a good cup of tea can go a long way to solving most of life's little problems. He doesn't say it in the televised story. I thought it was a brilliant line and could easily visualize Roger Delgado delivering that with charm and a twinkle in his eyes. He was probably probably trying to poison her, though. Yeah. Michael, in our Goodreads group, gives us three stars, and he gives us a rather long one, so let me read this as fast as I can. Whether or not you like the target novelization of the demons is going to depend a lot on whether whether or not you like the televised story itself. Held up by many as the quintessential story of the Third Doctor's era, it has just about all the earmarks of the era, a unit, the master, a threat to Earth. Fans will argue that it's got all the elements to make for a good Third Doctor story, while detractors will argue that it's exactly all those elements coming together, plus a bit of padding to bring the whole affair out to five episodes, that hold the story back. One interesting thing about the novelization is that for years, it was the only official way fans could experience the story outside of bootleg nth generation copies of the story on VHS. I have a feeling a lot of fans read the novel and created a lavish tapestry in their minds of exactly what the story could and would look like on screen, only to be shockingly disappointed when they saw the real thing. The fact that the nth generation VHS bootlegs could be blurry probably only helped things to not conflict too much. With the images created in the eye of your imagination. Of all the various eras of Doctor Who, it's interesting that the third and fourth Doctor's eras are those that benefit the least from the target novels. Oh god, I disagree. Yes, all the stories are out there in tovel- target novel form, but there are few instances in which a story was substantial, ex- substantially expanded on or deepened by the novel. Outside of a couple of Malcolm Hulk stories, the Pertwee novelizations rarely strayed out of events portrayed on screen or try to beef up or add more to the storylines, and The Demons is in the mold of depicting what we saw on TV without adding much to it. Really? (laughs) Writer Barry Letts... Who helped co-write the story on television it adds a little bit of a local color to the villagers and the opening pages, but once the story takes off, it's really no more or less than your average tell the story in novel form of other novelizations of the era. Really? If you're hoping <laughs> if you're hoping that Let's would add to a lot to the story or expand some things, or maybe even compress certain scenes for the sake of the novel, you're going to be disappointed. If you're looking for a nice telling of a good story that is, in my opinion, a classic of not only its era, but all of Doctor Who, odds are you'll like the book. And finally, James gives it four stars and says, This is one of my favorite Target books. It's a real unit family story. Has a flavor of the occult about it. The Master being out of his depth too. But mainly because it's the first audiobook I bought years ago. I have listened to it many times, mainly due to Barry Lett's narration. Real shame he didn't read more audiobooks. Well. That's a variance of opinion, and strangely enough, the televised story has that same variance. If you look on Wikipedia, it tells you the story is both loved and hated, but there's nobody who just says, eh, it's either loved or hated. So Which Jennifer, means it's doing something. It's doing yeah. something. So Jennifer, out of five stars, what would you give this book?
3: Hmm. I could easily say five, but we'll go four and a half.
2: Okay, why so? I, I
3: guess with being in the position of comparing the two, uh and seeing recently comparing the two and seeing what could possibly have been portrayed better or further in the um televised serial, uh the I think the serial would bring down my score, uh if you're just asking me to score the target novelization, you'll get five plus one. But, uh, so, yeah, I guess in the comparison, especially in as an adult reader, it, uh, the lack of depth in some areas would pull it down in a comparison. Right. Does that answer what it you're
0: does. asking? It does. Mm-hmm. Dalton? I'm going to agree, 4.5 for me. Um, I just, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I loved the writing. I disagree with that dude saying that this book is not, if if this were a typical Target novel, this thing would have been 120 pages for five episodes, is not true. 180. That is true. That alone shows you how much love and craft he put into it. I would that agree. he could put that extra 60 pages. It didn't feel like it was 180 pages to me. It, it's wonderful. I, I loved it. Okay. So, yeah, 4.5 for me.
2: Terrific. Allison? This
1: was a great end to summer. I feel like our last two have been really strong, and I really loved the guest characters in here, Mm -hmm. Um, and some of the... uh, Unit as an entity, uh, even if there was more Yates and Benton than we, strictly speaking, needed, but I loved the (laughs) the (laughs) atmosphere, I loved the humor, I I loved the the small town banter and humor, and so the things that were positive for me were very strongly positive, but the bits that were negative were strongly negative enough to knock it down. Galaxy 4 is something that I... (laughs) <laughs> keep coming back to for some reason it's stuck in my mind and I think this will as well. Yeah. The parts that I liked I liked so much. The parts that I disliked I dislike so much. Mm-hmm. And I think that might be true whenever one of the writers tries to do something interesting with gender. It's like they have to balance out the positive with something regressive.
2: Yeah. And
1: I feel like the the terrific thing Yeah, I feel up. like in some ways this this uncharacteristic Joe is balancing out this terrific guest character Mm -hmm. of Miss Hawthorne. So I really, I guess it comes down to, I loved almost everything about it except for the characterization of our our core characters of the Doctor and Joe. Hmm. And then at the end, I thought the plot didn't quite come together, but that's pretty conventional and forgivable. So I'd Hmm. say three overall, but that's Hmm. really the... Averaging of a uh, one point five, and then I'm sorry, it's too late in the day for us <laughs> today. And whatever the opposite high number of that would right, be exactly. to, to average yeah, out. So I'm going to go through okay. all right,
2: that works. Strong
1: feelings all around, which is always a, a positive over a uh, poor Terrence Dix. He really <laughs> takes it a lot around here, but he is our by definition our baseline because he was so prolific in writing the target books.
2: He's the art stick. It,
1: it's kind of like you know a public school student is always the average student in every state because there are so many more public school <laughs> students than any other category of K-12 students. Right. So compared to a a, a Dick's book, that might feel okay about strongly, more positive and more negative.
2: Okay. And for me, I'd have to say uh, 4.25, mainly because of the same reasons uh, that Allison, Allison talked about. There are some flaws in it that I just cannot overlook. Um, but they are not that many of them. And also, again, it felt like a zero-sum game with Joe losing out to Miss Hawthorne winning, and it didn't seem like that needed to be there. That being said, I really am kind of excited that Miss Hawthorne has her own fictional universe where yes. she meets yeah. werewolves and vampires and all this goings on. And it's like um, Devil's End is this type of hellmouth in the way that Sunnyvale yeah. is and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And
1: well, I haven't read Good Omens, but... Watch the, the Amazon adaptation it's yes, just like the Yeah, they they're playing with a lot of the same uh, same elements of the small town into the world. Yes, yes. and I,
2: I love that, and I love the touches that he brings to it. I love the extra characterization, the extra length. I almost ended up in a position where I was the Allison of the week because I almost didn't get this finished what, what, until if, last what, night. What
1: insult is this? Pack like, <laughs> it was a for
2: me. <laughs> but I didn't. Oh, I almost didn't have it finished for today.
1: Oh, oh, that one. Oh. <laughs> so much worse I was expecting
2: why no you know that i saved that for your Unless birthday you cackle
1: so
2: <laughs> of course that's what i do best well thank you guys <laughs> and thank, thank you, you fellow time travelers for giving us your valuable time next time we begin both the shows and our own ninth season with the return of special guest larry van Yay! yes exactly we love larry to discuss dave the daleks in the meantime if you liked what you've heard here, like us on Facebook at Dr. Target Book Club Podcast, all or in on order of those spaces like crazy person. You can also visit our nearly pristine subreddit at reddit.com forward slash R forward slash DW Target BC. Feel free to watch videos of our first 12 episodes. Give us thumbs up or comment on YouTube. We're at youtube.com forward slash user forward slash emperor forward slash videos. I will be posting a video of my disastrous read-aloud of Claws of Axis on Twitch. <laughs> I did get through, through the first three chapters, so if anyone wants to look at that on YouTube and then throw some money our way, we still could use it. Uh, follow us on Twitter, we're DWTargetBC, or subscribe to us via the podcast provider of your choice, including Spotify. If all else fails you, email us at DWTargetBC at gmail.com. Our new thing by Aaron S. is available on his YouTube channel at tinyurlcom forward slash Y32B8F55 along with many, many others. Give him a follow and a thumbs up. Thank you very much, Jennifer, for uh, yeah. joining us on this. Mm-hmm.
3: You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Yeah, we'd yeah. love
2: to have you back. You said something about Green Death, right? That's another favorite yet. Yeah, that's going to be after we take our hiatus, so probably in March.
1: I look forward to Jennifer and Tony uh, developing a cocktail menu together.
2: Why? Well,
1: the Green oh, Death, and then there was, what was the drink in the book? <laughs> the uh, Hell Juice. The Hell Juice.
2: There was something else
1: you mentioned. It sounded oh. quite, like, quite a promising myth.
0: Oh, there's
2: an idea. Okay, we'll have to do that. Well. I look forward to it. <laughs> sounds great. <laughs> we'll create our own drink menu. Yes, indeed. And we'll publish it online make lots of money. All right, so thank you very much for listening and enjoy your travels. Bye-bye.
3: Bye bye. 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 Bye.